0: Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm joined today by uh, Ian Boyd. Ian is the X's and O's expert uh, for InsideTexas.com. Uh, Ian, welcome in. How you doing today? Doing well. I, I want to call. I mentioned, uh, you know, prior to our, our uh, hooking up today that I wanted to call today's episode inside the game plan. Uh, in part because it felt—I um, thought your article this week uh, on the strengths potentially and um, weaknesses of both quarterbacks, uh, Hudson Card and Quinn Ewers, was very interesting—and that's what you titled it. Uh, and I want to start there in our conversation because there's been a couple practices now. Uh, we've got some other uh, position moves and things happening uh, at Texas that I want to talk about, but I want to start with that article. Uh, because you made the point in it that, you know, there's a reason to believe Hudson Card very easily could end up uh, winning this job uh, over Quinn Ewers. But likewise, you put up the, the opposite stance that uh, Quinn Ewers has does some things that Hudson Card isn't necessarily uh, strong with. And I want to give you a chance or an opportunity kind of to lay out the groundwork of that and what you were thinking when you wrote it.
1: I, well, you know, I basically just started writing it um, partly just to sort out my own thoughts and see if I could arrive at any clarity on how I think it's going to shake out. So I just started writing out, you know, what is this offense going to be? Who are these guys? Somebody on YouTube made a really useful compilation of every snap both Hudson Card and Casey Thompson took last year um, that I was uh, reviewing. And um, yeah, just where where I landed was it makes the most sense for Sark to build the offense around the strengths of Quinn Ewers, and uh, if, Kate, if uh, Hudson Card grows in executing that style, then he has other advantages over Quinn Ewers. He's more experienced in the system with the protections, with Big 12 defenses, which I didn't actually mention, but that's pretty important, and with um, third down passing, I think is actually a strength of cards. And Quinn Ewers, so if you structure if you structure the offense to emphasize you know chucking it deep, throwing it wide and long, you give Ewers a good chance to win the job because he does that as well as any prospect we've ever seen out of the state of Texas, right? He's like like Stafford and Ewers, right? Um, so if he if he takes the job, it's because he's a natural fit and he's doing everything else well enough. If he doesn't take the job, it's because Card is executing the deep shot style effectively and then he's bringing more of the other sort of veteran skills to the position so that's that's basically where i landed and how i see the shaking out you know assuming that there's not already some like you know backdoor handshake between the Ewers and, and sark that brought him to texas yeah i don't
0: place. i don't think it I, big boy football doesn't work that way
1: um I, you can't you know i mean if you're terrible then you lose so yeah, yeah i i think that
0: i think that as i look at it um you know, you mentioned uh, one of the things that I thought you hit on uh, properly, uh, Ian, uh, was the fact that this is uh, Card's second year in a system, and typically you see a bigger jump uh, in a in a player, any player in any system, in any kind of system, their second year in it. It's not you automatically take to it. It's a it's a developing process, and from that standpoint, here is my my take on on some of what you said and what what I'd like your comment on. Um, You know, the first part of learning is memorizing, right? It's the denotation of understanding everything that you're supposed to understand, grasping it, being able to uh, do do something uh, or be able to understand what's going on. But the second part of it is connotation. You know, how do you contextualize what's going on around you to create opportunities for you and uh, for the offense or what have you. And I just wonder if last year for Hudson Card, it was all about denotation and now he can move into that stage of connotation and contextualizing it. Likewise, if, you know, if Quinn Ewers is gonna have that one year of trying to get ready. Um, and is Quinn Ewers so uh, preternaturally talented, that it trumps all other aspects. Um, and, and I think that, that that's why, uh, part of why we're talking about it is because it's not like Hudson Card, and you, you made this point. It's not like he's just a, a guy. He's a pretty highly rated, talented quarterback. Uh, perhaps as talented a quarterback, even though he's young as Texas has had in you know 10 years. I mean, Sam Ellinger, for as good as he was, wasn't necessarily that uber-talented quarterback. He was more of a uber-talented leader. And so my question to you is, really, how does, how does that come into your thinking where you're taking this one year of experience and you're taking a guy that you're trying to get from that, the actual memorization of everything, the denotation, and then taking him into that connotation or contextualization of the offense and how he makes it run, like on third downs that you mentioned is so important.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, Hudson Card has such a bad rep from how last season went amongst some fans that uh, you would, you wouldn't think this, but it's entirely possible that he could have a huge year because he makes that leap with comfort in the system. And then he's off to the NFL, right? Quarterbacks maybe stick around a little bit longer, but um, that's not completely out of the realm of possibility. I think that uh, in some respects, it's not even a knock on yours or a dismissal of his talent to say that the job is sort of cards to grab because of, um, yes, yours is insanely talented. If, if he's so good immediately, then he'll just play. But um, if card makes the transition, he has his own talent level. So it, it just makes, um, he would um, the, the timeline would favor card to, to hold on to the job especially the way that Sark likes to play veteran quarterbacks traditionally um, so it, yours is very talented and he will take the job if card lets him but I, I, I would think that it's cards to have if he can make this leap and actually show the talent that we've seen only glimpses of
0: All right, let's, let's move on to some other stuff because the Humidor had an interesting piece today. Uh, before I do that, um, I want to mention that uh, Inside Texas is currently running a four months for $1 special for first-time subscribers. Please consider uh, using that uh, opportunity to join us on InsideTexas.com. It's where Ian, uh, myself, Jerry Hamilton, Eric Naline, the publisher, Justin Wells, Paul Wadlington, we all post uh, daily uh, and try to... Uh, Keep uh, some information flowing for those people who are uh, passionate uh, Longhorn fans like yourself who's probably watching this video. Um, in, in the humidor today, which is our, our weekly uh, column, insider column uh, that Eric and, and the gang post, uh, they made mention of something uh, that you and I have talked about, and that's a shuffle, a potential shuffle along the defensive front that is not necessarily all of what they did last year. Um can you, Eric was, was a little uh, hesitant to go too too in depth about it because he hadn't got enough insight on it, but I know that you have an inkling of where he, what he's talking about and, and can uh, kind of give a, a glimpse into what what that really means and what it's all about.
1: Yeah, well, I think that um, just as a starting point, you know, we, we know that they're, we're, we've, we've been reporting that they, they want to move Jedi Baron to Nickel in part to get their best 11 players on the field. That's great. That's a good, that's a good idea. Get your best 11 guys. Um, if you were to name the, the, if you were to rank the best players on the line of scrimmage for the Texas defense, based on where we left off last season, I think the first five guys you would name are all defensive tackles or nose tackles before you would get to an edge player. I think you would go uh, Mauro Ojimo, Alfred Collins, Keandre Coburn, Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat. And then maybe at that point you would get to a Gofo or maybe Sorrell or, or some other player. And it might still just be like Broughton, you know, or, or another defensive tackle. Um, so that calls for three down fronts is what you want. And that's where they landed last year. They ended up playing basically the back half of the season with um, Collins at the end Ojemo at tackle and uh, Coburn or whoever else at, in the nose. And uh, it would make sense that they might just be trying to tweak the defense to um, have more flexibility and things they can do with Collins and Ojimo on the field at the same time. Uh, sounds like you wonder if maybe they, they basically just have them flip positions and Ojimo goes back to end where he played in 2020 and then Collins goes inside to tackle. And then you can, uh, you, then you only need one good edge player, unless you're in a 3-4. When you're in a nickel, you just need one good edge player. And then the, the, it just changes the style to get your best to get as many good defensive tackles on the field as possible. There are ways to do that. They've tinkered with some. They can do more. And we, really, within the school of defense that Pete Kwiatkowski comes from, which has a lot of overlap with – has some overlap with Todd Orlando, has a lot of overlap with Dave Aranda as well. You watch like Dave Aranda's teams right now um, or Georgia and Alabama do this some too. They're often playing the tight front that Orlando used or under fronts. And they're playing with three big bodies and one edge. I think down the road, probably Pete Kwiatkowski would probably like to play the two, four, five, whenever, you know, Burke and tap and Brown and all these guys and Finkley are, are better. But right now when the best players are, mostly defensive tackles it would make sense to to pivot a little more to to being able to do more from three down three big bodies is what i really mean by that
0: you know i i never actually looked at it um like you have uh or like like you just articulated where i i can i see your point the four or five best defensive linemen right now are nose tackles or tackles um until proven otherwise, right, and and that goes to saying without Oshawn Mathis potentially on campus, right, um, uh, the the potential transfer from TCU that I'm talking about, um, so I I get it, and to finding ways to to spread that talent out a little bit more uh, might again like you like you said put the best eleven on the field with a guy like Jade Barron on the back end as well. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about uh, is that you were kind of, uh, you know, I think you were a little stronger than most on the fact that Gunnar Helm would most likely be starting from a blocking position. And they came out on Tuesday and Jatavian Sanders was the first tight end uh, on, the, on the field, apparently. Um, so uh, does that speak to Jatavian Sanders potentially being more well-rounded than Gunnar Helm? Um, and also picking up his ability as a blocker on the interior? Or is this just early season conjecture or early practice conjecture? And we're not sure if it means anything quite
1: yet. I think there's a dozen variables that go into it. Um, He's gotten lighter, which is even for blocking, probably a good thing just to be in better overall shape. Um, If he were to be equal or close to Helm as a blocker, in that case, you could see them just trying to scheme the run game to ask less of the tight end so that you can have a guy on the field like him who's more of a receiver. I, I will note that they haven't practiced in full pads yet. Um, so the reason that I would suspect uh, Helm would end up winning that inline or the primary blocking position is yet to, to manifest in practices. Um, but yeah, they, they have a they have schemes to where if, if Sanders is, you know, is it, what is it equal or leaving? What is that? What is that phrase? If,
0: he, if he's <laughs> I mix metaphors all the time. Don't ask me about that stuff. I'm yeah, bad.
1: We'll have to we'll have to if he's up. even, he's leaving or even something like that. Something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know if that what that originally applied to. I just know how we tend to use it. But um, if he's if he can execute enough run blocking scheme, then sure he'll he'll get that job and they'll um, they'll build around it. But um, yeah, if they want to, if they want to play a lot of twelve personnel, you're probably going to see more Helm if he's the better blocker, which he likely will be. Is it and possible?
0: If- is it possible that you're underestimating the ability of Billingsley as a blocker in 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 this category? I I, I come back to that. I think you may be overestimating Helm's ability as a blocker and under underestimating um, Billingsley as a blocker. Just in. I don't know why I feel that way, but in my talks with you, 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 you really think that Helm has, a, has some, a, a really good ability as a blocker, I think, and I, don't, I haven't necessarily really seen that yet.
1: You have to look deep to find it, because he mostly played, he really actually, he mostly played when they would play with three tight ends in the Wild Roshan package, and um, that's where he got a lot of his looks last year. Um, He's a thick, he's a, he's a strong, thick dude now. I saw a picture of him, and he looks different than he did even a year ago. Billingsley, um, you know, there's a lot going on there. One is that he was a decent blocker last year at times, but if you watch the championship game, there were some stark moments where he was not blocking effectively um, that people might have noticed. Yeah, people probably noticed the drops and thought, oh boy, I don't know. But there were some blocks in there that were worse. Um, now, you would like to say, well, that was the national championship game against Alabama. Well, guess who comes to Austin, you know? Um, and then, um, and that's why he lost his job to Cameron Latu also, because Latu was the bigger blocker. and Billingsley would play when they would play with two tight ends, because the second tight end would have an easier job. Uh, beyond that, he's listed now at 216 pounds, right? So that's, I mean, he's a receiver, basically. I, it's hard to imagine him having a role where he is taking on heavy-duty blocking assignments in the box. Um, like I just said with Sanders, if they could scheme, um, they could scheme the run game to try to keep him on linebackers and try to have him avoid blocking defensive ends or or uh, or stronger outside linebackers. But that gets you just start to put yourself in a box and you put yourself in a box specifically with how you scheme your run game for two of your best players. So I'm sure that they'll have them in there in packages, but it's just hard for me to see them not having an extensive package with a real blocking tight end. Maybe Sanders can be that guy.
0: That's what I was going to, that's what I was going to say. I mean, the hope might be that Jatavian Sanders has made a leap, right? And he becomes yeah, the, the all he becomes the all purpose tight end that they really need uh, that doesn't uh, you know tip whether it's a heavy run formation or not right and that's what you're really saying because I think that that once you put a helm in there you're really tipping your hand as to what you're trying to do uh, whereas with Billingsley and or Sanders you're not necessarily tipping your hand uh, prior to the to the play getting started um,
1: I, I, don't you, think, uh, I, I don't think that necessarily matters though. Because if you're tipping your hand that either we're going to run it down your throat or he's going to protect while we chuck it over your head, there's still so much distance between the two potential points of attack in the box or out wide that defenses are still, they're too, they're still overstressed in space. Uh, so I don't think it's actually a big deal. You'll find lots of teams in the Big 12 over the last five to 10 years in particular that will favor a blocking tight end who's maybe not even much of a catcher at all because the extreme stress of RPOs and play action and speed and space is enough that it doesn't matter that defenses know he's not going to catch the ball. They still can't get numbers where they need to be.
0: Interesting. All right. Um, I want to go next. You, you, you do mostly X's and O's we, we call you our X's and O's experts because you like to break down the film and the video. Um, I wrote an article today. I wanted to ask your commentary on um, I talked about Vic Schaefer and the Lady Longhorns. They're in the Sweet 16 uh, this weekend uh, playing for a chance to go to the Final Four. Uh, in his second year at Texas, he's now got them on the precipice of, of going back to being a national uh, contender. Um, and I, I said that one of the things I wrote was part of a special coach or a really good coach is their ability to attract special players right? So, you know, football is a little bit different, right? And then basketball and, and women's basketball in particular, I guess. But my, my question more is, how good is the coach, or how much is the coach, in your opinion, dependent on his players to be great? You know, there, there are always those coaches that do less with more, or do more with less but I'm always intrigued, especially when you're in a place with Texas, you want to see the guy that can do more with more, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, where, where do you think and where do you see Texas in that process at this point in time with Steve Sarkeesian? Is he being able to attract those type of guys? Or I know you're not a recruiting expert, but I want to ask you that from more of a talent perspective uh, of what you see on Saturdays.
1: Yeah, so just kind of the big picture strategy question. I think one of the things that is optimistic about Stark, I wonder if it was something that uh, was, was an attractive feature to him to the, you know, the main trio that hired him, is that he has um, these experiences in the NFL, at Alabama, and at USC. That's, and that's probably the majority of his coaching experience probably at USC. Um, and so these are places where you have to manage egos it's a place where to get the most bang for your buck. It's about talent accumulation. And so just the skill set at a place like USC, Alabama, or Texas, you're going to have talent. Um, even in, you know, even when Texas is struggling and it seems like the coach is going to be fired, they still usually recruit better than most of the big 12, right? Um, it's about how to the extent to which you can maximize that advantage. And then how well, I think this is the one that, um, Maybe we don't talk about enough is how well do you manage the egos and the divas that you start to stockpile in your program? You have all these, and it's the same thing with coaching staff, too. You have to manage all these assistant coaches that are making, you know, seven figures now. Sometimes they want to be head coaches, they want the glory, they want the credit, they're ladder driven. Your players, they all think they can be in the NFL. And if they're not getting catches and they're just asked to block or wait their turn until they master some route that seems meaningless, you know, the quarterback doesn't want to stick around. I think that say like a Matt Campbell at a smaller program, like Iowa state, he still has to have good players, but his, the skill set is different because for him, it's about how do I find great players that other people aren't noticing? Right. Or how do I get guys in position where they can become great players when it wasn't obvious to everyone else at Texas? the skill set is totally different. You're getting obvious talents. It's about how do I manage them? How do I build schemes that simultaneously use them effectively, but that also serve a team concept? Because you have to have sacrifice. You have to have buy-in. You know, half of your offense or more are ultimately going to be role players. So that's a that's a that's a challenging skill. I think Sarkeesian is definitely showing that he knows how to accumulate the talent. Uh, probably the big remaining question is how well he can manage it. You know, we've already had one year where the quarterback position was frankly bizarre how he handled it last year. And then one of the guys left um, and then he brings in the most highly touted Texas quarterback and. What, 10 years, right, 15 years. So how well is he going to manage that? And that's kind of that remains to be seen.
0: One 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 more question for you, and that's on the offensive line. Um, Christian Jones on Tuesday started off at right tackle with Andre Carich at left tackle. On third in Thursday's practice, they flipped Christian J- Jones back to left ta- back to left tackle, and Andre carriage to right tackle. You think this is a, a sign that they're just looking around for the guys that that they think can fit the best best roles? Because we thought initially maybe that that this was a, a predestination move for Christian Jones to to try to win the right tackle job and leave that left tackle job open uh, for someone like Kelvin Banks as a true freshman.
1: I still think that they're not going to throw me off the scent that easily. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I had to ask. Say last year, right? Last year they put Christian Jones at left tackle and they kept him there. They're like, we think this guy is the guy that has to be left tackle for us. We're going to keep him there so that he can get as good at it as he can before the season starts this year immediately they look at him at right tackle right and we know we know the context we know they have a couple other guys on campus that might be an answer at left tackle and we know they have a couple guys coming in that could potentially be an immediate answer at left tackle um if they're moving him at all i I feel like that's because they want to create flexibility to not play him at left tackle which was our point right yep Well, no, I'm not, I'm not scared off. You know, last year, last year they did some things like they, uh, they started to move card in with the ones um, and we're like, Hey, look, cards with the ones. And then like the next day they flip it back. And everyone's like, Oh, you were ahead of yourselves. No, we weren't. He was the starter on week one. You know, those, those things are tells they, they mean something.
0: Yeah. I I agree with that. That's a good example. Um, Longhorns have a ton of prospects on campus this weekend. Uh, We may end up doing a special On Texas football uh, production uh, tomorrow if it's called for based on recruiting and all the news and and updates coming along. Inside Texas will be on campus tomorrow. Inside Texas is on campus today uh, following some of the recruits around. Cedric Baxter, uh, the nation's number one running back out of Orlando, Edgewater is already uh, on campus with his visit, Arch Manning. Uh, the number one, nation's number one prospect and quarterback from New Orleans, his high school teammate Will Randall, the tight end, also on campus right now. Uh, in total, there'll be more than a dozen four stars or higher on campus. I believe the number was 12, are uh, either a dozen or a baker's dozen uh, of the top 300 prospects in the country uh, will be on campus this weekend uh, to see the Longhorns. Inside Texas will be there, whether it's uh, on InsideTexas.com, where, again, we're running that special uh, for uh, one uh, four months for just $1, and we'd love for you guys uh, to join us. I also want to uh, point out one more time, if you haven't read uh, Ian's Inside the Game Plan piece uh, on the two quarterbacks, the the discussion that we started today, uh, today's episode with, I implore you to do that because I really think uh, that'll give you some greater insight Uh, of to what just the decision tree is probably uh, for the Texas coaches and what they're looking for right now. All right. Uh, For Ian Boyd, I'm Bobby Burton. Uh, Thanks, uh, Ian, for joining us. Uh, And that has been this episode of On Texas Football.